0: Hello, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Kim Howerton on the line. This is the second time she's been on the podcast. We dove deep into her story, her backstory on the first episode. This time we talked about reverse dieting. We dove deep into reverse dieting. I feel like her demographic within the keto space that she's typically working with is, you know, like middle aged women that have been dieting far too long and they need to hear the concepts of reverse dieting. But the thing is, This is a concept that is very applicable to anybody that's been dieting, anybody that just wants to be healthier. So I was super excited to dive into it. I feel like you're going to learn a lot and benefit from the information. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Kim. And we are live. Kim Howerton, how are you?
1: I'm doing awesome. How are you, Robert?
0: I'm doing wonderfully well. This is the second or third time I've had you on the show.
1: I think it's, well, it's the second time I've been on your show, but you've been on mine once, so. That's right. Count how you will.
0: I really enjoy talking with you both, you know, on podcasts and Facebook lives and whatnot that we've done in the past, but also in person, because I feel like of all the people that I know and interact with in the keto space, you have this, like, just a really good overarching grasp of all the different concepts, all the different hypes, all the different things going on right now. And you have this like no bullshit mentality towards all of it and you just speak your mind. And I feel like the world needs more of that.
1: Well, I, I appreciate that. I try and balance like being real and also being kind. Um, But it, you know, some days I do better than others.
0: No, I think, I think you've always been kind. I've never, I've never encountered you in a not kind Environment by any means.
1: You've you've not seen me maybe in a traffic jam. No. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um. So so we kind of dove into your backstory quite a bit on the last podcast, and we'll touch on some of that with this one because it'll be relevant to the conversation. But can you go ahead and just give like a quick little bio for anybody that doesn't know you hasn't heard your story? Just kind of like bring them up to speed.
1: Sure. Uh, so I went keto a little over four years ago. Prior to being keto, I was a life coach. Um, and i sort of hit a wall in my personal health journey you know part of what drew me to life coaching was actually i'd never been able to feel super happy in my life and i wanted to change that and so i went on a journey and it's just kind of my personality that when i do something then i teach other people <laughs> about it so i went on this journey to try and enjoy life and then i started teaching about that and Interestingly, one of the elements of that, about that was really like loving yourself where you are, not necessarily where you think you should be. And, but I reached a point where my health was really deteriorating. My weight was accelerating, like how much I weighed, my fat gain. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had to actually address that part of my sort of theory of hedonism, right? Was like, you know, you should feel good. I was like, I reached a point where I felt awful. And I was like, how can I actually call myself somebody who embraces pleasure when I live in a vessel that just feels like shit? Yeah. And um and I had to get really real with myself that, you know, I am a pleasure seeker and at the same time I'm also an addict. You know, I'm a food addict. And how do I embrace the love of food, but also don't go into my food addict brain, you know, deeply and, and and keep a balance in my life where I was living in a body that was constantly improving, not deteriorating because I started to realize that I was really just on a downward spiral um, and I was probably going to be pretty unhappy pretty soon.
0: Was there like a specific aha moment, like looking to me or like have the doctor visit and they'd say you that you something's not right? Or what was the, the pivotal like,
1: shift? You know, it was, um, I have to say it was this place where no, I guess is the, there was no outside. It was inside. Mm-hmm. Um, it was this, um, time when I was, you know, I could see 40 on the horizon. I was in my late thirties and I. my mood was just awful. So I've suffered from chronic depression since I was about nine years old. And there was just this time period where I literally couldn't make it through the day without crying. Like I couldn't make it through the day without at least one breakdown, if not several. (laughs) And it scared me a lot. And it was very wrapped together. So it it was mood stuff. But then it was very wrapped up in this reality that, like, I I was eating to try and fix the mood, and it was like I it was like it was, I was like the Tasmanian devil. Like I could see how out of control I was, mm-hmm. and so I was constantly. <laughs> like I have a sense of humor. So for my perspective, it's funny. I understand if you laugh at this, you feel like a bad person, but you know, it's like, I was either crying or eating. Like it was like my two speeds or maybe crying and eating. And, um, and I, I just knew something had to change because while I, I'm not, I don't tend towards being suicidal. I never have. I also really didn't care if a bus ran me over, like re like, like, my desire to continue on the planet was waning. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I knew something had to shift. And a friend of mine um, was in a OA program, an Overeaters Anonymous program that I joined. And for a while there was some, it was helpful. Um, but then it didn't suit me. It didn't fit me over time. And I was white knuckling this sort of approach and it was just hard So long story short, I ended up like losing some weight, gaining back some weight, going on this kind of journey to figure it out, understanding at the time the biochemistry of of low-carb and insulin, because I had read Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It by Gary Taubes, and I had, the program I was doing for a while was a low -er carb, but it wasn't low, it wasn't keto. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I got it, and then I listened, and I was like, ah, I can't do this again. Like, I literally knew that you know when you're just like I don't have another go in me like I don't I don't have another round I don't you know I can't do I can't do one more set of reps right at the gym like I'm I'm almost out Mm -hmm. and I I knew that about I was like I I can't I this is the last push I have and I in that period heard Tim Ferriss's podcast with um Peter Atia, and then with Dom Dagostino. But I think the first one was Peter Atia, and I heard about keto and I got really curious. And so that was about probably four and a half years ago at this point. And I just decided that I think this is the thing that's going to be the life change I need. And I was right. It was
0: it's it's funny because I've I've talked Like I've had several people on the podcast, and that was their introductory, introductory, you know, thing to keto was that podcast with Tim Ferriss. That's what it was for me as well. That, that, and uh, you know, Keto Clarity, and because those came out Mm -hmm. about the same time, and that was just like the aha moment for me. But it's interesting because what what the keto space is like now versus what it was like then is just so different, totally different. Um, But it's cool because I feel like the people who were introduced to keto back then with those podcasts and just in that time frame, it's like we have this totally different perspective of the diet than people that are just getting into it today. Not that one's better or different or worse, but uh, it's just, it's just interesting to see how the, the times shift with things, you know, like the bubbles burst and the hypes <laughs> rise and fall.
1: Yeah. It's very, it's a very different place now. And you know, you can get a little bitter yeah. <laughs> I should say I can you know about the people that like weren't keto and now they're like say and I'm like wait wait anyway um but but I ultimately think the more the more the merrier you know yeah. um I'm just can be crotchety sometimes um but I think that's how some of us have the perspectives we have right like I've gone to a ton of conferences I've talked to a ton of people I've worked with thousands of people you know, it's not, it's not something new for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. I want to, I want to kind of dive into, you know, before we started recording, we talked that we really wanted to focus on reverse dieting. And that that's a concept, honestly, that transcends the keto space as a whole. Totally. I mean, that, that's something that, you know, I was playing around with and implementing before I was ever, ever knew about keto, like just in bodybuilding. But I feel like a lot of the demographic that comes to keto comes for, you know, like like the largest population in the keto space is, you know, middle-aged women that are wanting to lose some weight, and they've tried every different dieting protocol out there, but they don't really know about reverse dieting, and it's super applicable to the keto space and, and people that are following other nutritional protocols, but I'd love to kind of, because that, that's your specialty, right? That's your niche, pretty much. That's, that's who you're doing most of your marketing to and, and association with, so I'd love to kind of get your impression of reverse dieting, and then just what you're hearing from the clientele you've interacted with over the years.
1: Sure. So, I actually think you were honestly my first serious introduction to the concept because so my yeah, my my clientele is definitely the sort of like over 40 women who would like to lose weight crowd. Um and very specifically not necessarily, I mean I'm happy to work with whoever, but not necessarily just the woman who's like 10 pounds overweight, but somebody who's experiencing significant life issues from not just their weight, their weight is more a consequence of other health problems that need to be addressed. And so it can be very complex. Like the, the people I work with, it's not a simple fix. And Mm -hmm. I think that's because I wasn't a simple fix. Like, you know, you attract who you are and, um, because I have had a lot of health problems over the course of my life um, and had to resolve or work to resolve or start to resolve a lot of those things along the way so that I could be healthy it wasn't just about what the number on the scale was but sort of a journey towards better health. Um, you know those types of people tend to seek me out and it's, it's it can be a little complicated mm-hmm. um, but if it was easy, it wouldn't be fun. Um, and so, but in my life, you know, one of the things that happened with me when I went keto is I went keto, I sort of followed the general advice at the time, tweaked a little bit, did the, you know, a little over here, a little over there. Um, and you know, guess and check and change it up and experiment. But then I hit just this brick wall where my weight wasn't going down anymore. Now my health continued to improve. So you know, in a way I wasn't super upset about it, but I still weighed a good 40 pounds more than I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that was better than a hundred, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite there yet. And, you know, and I'm a fairly driven person. I don't tend to want to accept something less than I want. Right. And, So I was like, well, what can I do? And so I started myself like experimenting even more, like maybe more fat, less protein. Okay, no, maybe more protein, less fat. Okay, maybe, you know, like just kept changing up different things that I was doing to make some changes in myself and also in my clients, because by that time I was coaching Mm -hmm. and I saw by changing up the macros, you know, shaking up various things that I could get people to get in motion again, where they've been stuck. Um, But then I reached a point, and and I did the same, I got some motion where I'd been stuck. But then I reached a point about two and a half, maybe ish years into keto, where I not just was not losing anymore, I was gaining. And so I had to address what was going on sort of stopped the gain but now I'm up 10 15 pounds from the you know and it's like oh it's like it's it like felt like sliding back down a hill you just climbed up and um I had to say like well what's going on and it and at the time you were talking about reverse dieting somewhere that I was and we got into a conversation about it and I got really curious
0: gotcha gotcha yeah it's it's interesting because I, I talk about it very openly like on my podcast and on my YouTube channel, but I'm always getting so many, so many questions about it. Cause I feel like it's, it's just not as sexy to talk about reverse dieting as it is every other type of dieting. So people know it's important, but they like don't really sink their teeth into it. And because they don't sink their teeth into it, it just always gets pushed to the back burner, but it's probably the most important aspect of dieting in the first place.
1: Right. And I think it's complicated because right now in the keto space, um, the discussion around calories is really um, touchy, right? Mm-hmm. It used to be the discussion about protein was touchy. <laughs> now protein, everybody seems pretty cool about. Now it's calories. Like, do calories matter? You know, what are they like? And, and there are there are people who are like, calories don't matter at all. It's all hormonal. Um, and then there are people who say hormones don't matter. It's all calories. And then there are people kind of in the middle. Who say well it's it's kind of both like if your hormones aren't taking care of calories you can give a flip about them like they don't really aren't so much a thing but if you're but if your hormones are you know and the, the food you're eating is properly sending the right signals to your body then then do they ever matter and i think it's a really interesting discussion and it's very challenging in these places where It can feel like you're almost violating somebody's religion to question these kinds of things.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of this uh, violation of nutritional religion here lately, it seems. I feel like everybody's just on their high horse about all these different aspects. And I mean, for me, it's like, why, why does it have to be, why do you have to deal in absolutes? Like, yes, calories matter. The amount of fuel you intake matters. The quality of that fuel matters. The hormones that you know change the way your body processes everything you do consume matters. Like it's it's a your body is a complex system, so it only makes sense that the variables that you input to that body also you know work symbiotically to to matter. But they all matter. Like to say that one is non-existent and not part of the equation is just total ignorance, in my opinion.
1: Yes, um, I think that uh, you know. I think that a lot of people really want to simplify keto, which I think is a fabulous thing. So when you're out there and you're talking about, you know, don't worry about that. Don't worry about tracking, just eat to hunger. Like for a good 70% of the, I'm making these numbers up, but they seem right to me, you know, for about, it seems like for like 75% of the population, they can get 70% of the way there doing that. Totally. Um, And so, is that better than them stressing out about macros and counting every calorie and never go, you know? Yeah, it's probably much, much better because it lowers the bar to entry and gets people started. The The population that I often interact with are, it's, this is what gets me. I think we all have our trigger issues, right? When I first went keto, I was running out of hope, Like literally, I just... There was none. And I think that's probably the worst thing in the whole world Mm -hmm. to experience because everything seems meaningless. And I grabbed this thread and and hung on until I was like, oh my gosh, something is working. And that feeling of like rekindled hope in my heart was like amazing and life-changing and something I will never forget. But, oh, and that's the experience a lot of us, have when we've struggled a lot and then we go keto and then we hit a place maybe where the things we used to do that worked aren't working and that it's like somebody pulled the stopper out of your drain and all that hope starts to circle the drain and 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 you feel betrayed you mm-hmm. feel betrayed by your body you feel betrayed by keto and i think if we don't stop and say hey 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 you know what there's a level two Yeah. or like there's a there's a doorway over here where if that path wasn't ran out right it was right and now it's not maybe you need to knock on this other door and that other door I think really is about tracking paying attention measuring tinkering and I think reverse dieting lives through that door
0: yeah I totally agree I mean what i what i hate to see and what i've seen a lot of lately is you know a lot of these movers and shakers in the keto space that saw so much initial success and momentum come from you know just the standard ketogenic diet with the the baseline protocol that we're all told from the get go you know they saw mm-hmm. so much success doing that but then they've moved on to phase 2 and now they've like pretty much totally discredited what what got them there in the first place and then the people that are just coming into it for the first time they're hearing all this phase two stuff and they need to just start back at phase one. And I think that is, is resulting in a bunch of, or a loss of momentum that a lot of people could be having that are just getting into it from the first, from the very beginning.
1: Right. Well, I think, you know, what, I mean, it's kind of human, right? You, you get, you go deep into a topic and you want to get fancy. You get, it gets like complicated. You want to make over here, you're going to do this thing. And I think it's, hard to begin as a beginner again, right? To remember what you needed when you first started. And I think there needs to be attention put on that. Even if it's to say, hey, guys, I've moved on to this other thing. I'm not going to give the beginners thing, right? Like, but there is a different approach that you need to do when you're starting something new versus when you're tweaking something that worked before.
0: Totally agree. So, for anybody listening to this, that's like this is the first keto podcast I've ever heard, and they're just <laughs> diving in. They're phase one. Like, what are your like, boom, top three bullet points? Do this, and that's going to be the the 20 analysis for the seventy percent of you that are going to really benefit.
2: So, when
1: I work with new people, what I tend to say is, let's figure out about how much protein you should eat. So, there are th- first, I would say there are three macronutrients: <laughs> mm-hmm. protein, fat, and carbohydrates. We're going to limit carbohydrates to under 20 total grams. Just set that bar and don't go above it. Um, We're going to figure out how much protein we need based on what our approximate lean body mass is. And when I teach people that I have a little chart that's by height, because most people have no idea how to calculate that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so dial in the protein because that's an important range. And then from there, you're filling in your your energetic and um, hunger needs with dietary fat
0: and on and the protein is that like a one-to-one with lean mass generally or how are you, setting you know, that up?
1: when somebody is new i don't do that i do that later so you're first, so one of the things that i like to talk about is fat adaptation so you first start keto you get into ketosis it's going to take maybe a day maybe a week um but once you're in ketosis you're not yet fat adapted your body is you're like a toddler that doesn't know how you keep falling on your ass, right? And so you need to add more fat into your diet because that toddler stage means your body is not real good at using fat for energy yet, which means you might need to intake some extra fat so you feel good. I think the other thing I talk about, which is that a good portion of people who are going keto are food addicts, right? Right. They are used to eating a lot more than they actually need. And so I do think that you can have a little bit less of a violent start on an emotional level. I'm I'm not advocating a binge, but what I'm saying is if you don't let yourself be hungry, so your first couple of weeks of keto, if you're hungry, you're weak. And I don't just mean physically, I mean emotionally, like, and you're more likely to Fall off
0: totally, and so
1: so first couple of weeks, don't be hungry. Eat enough fat that you're really not hungry, and then over time, your body will give you feedback that you're starting to get fat adapted, which means that your hunger is going to decline, and at which point you can sort of turn that dietary fat lever down a bit so that you now feel good at a lower level. But I certainly don't think for your first. Six months of keto, you should be feeling super hungry a lot of the
0: time. 100% agree. I feel like a lot of people are coming into keto for the first time and they're hearing this concept of, you know, if you have fat to lose, don't consume dietary fat because your body's going to just strip it from the stored body fat. But if your body doesn't right. know how to use stored body fat efficiently yet, then that's not really going to be a, a worthwhile process. And I know your body will learn, but You're better off just giving yourself ample and adequate dietary fats, so that it kind of gives you training wheels, so to speak, to becoming more adapted in the first place.
1: Right. Like if somebody comes to me and they want to work with me and they're like, I'm in a rush, I don't want to work with them. Like you should not be doing – this is a life change. And if you want it to stick, you need to give it the time it deserves to unfold.
0: Totally agree. And the same holds true to a T with reverse dieting. That is not a fast, quick fix type of thing. I mean, I, I get like just frustrated to no end when somebody comes to me and they want to work with me and they they only want to do keto for to, to shed a couple of pounds for this wedding or for the beach or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, then they tra- and they plan on going back to carbohydrates as their primary fuel source. It's just a skewed mentality and I feel like Whenever you, whenever you start something new, whether it be like a nutritional protocol or, or business or anything, if you're going into it with this outlook of, you know, I want to just get this over and done with as quickly as possible and not make this a long game thing, then you're literally going to fail. Like I can tell you with a 99% certainty that it's not going to work. And I see so many people try to get into the the dieting, and you know, performance realm, and th- they've literally failed before they've begun. So. Having a lifelong outlook is key.
1: Totally. You know what? I think probably people might, I mean, maybe they know from your other podcast. but if somebody hasn't listened before, um, I don't know that they know what reverse dieting is. That's the question I get from my followers a lot is, what is reverse dieting? Maybe you should explain it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's just roll up our sleeves and and dive deep into that. So dieting is typically defined as, you know, in the general sense of the word, cutting calories, doing whatever to lose body fat and lean out. That's typically what people associate dieting with. They want to lose body fat. Reverse dieting is the reverse of that. Not necessarily adding a lot more body fat, although that does come with it sometimes, but simply adding in more calories, more food, more fuel so that you're no longer in a caloric deficit. Generally speaking, if you're in a diet, you're in a caloric deficit. And if you're in a reverse diet, you're trying to reverse out of that deficit and increase your total daily caloric intake but also your you know improve your metabolic and hormonal rate uh, and kind of reset that baseline at a higher more favorable level so that you know if you decide to, to lean out or cut down again in the future you have a higher starting point more calories to work with more runway than next time you cycle through that's kind of what i would define at a very high level view so it's
1: like it's like a u-shaped curve or a where you're what what goes down must come up
0: yeah exactly i mean like when i compete in step on stage and you know i'm three or four percent body fat that is not sustainable long term and it's not really even a you know desirable place to be like when you're at that lean of a body fat especially you know as a natural athlete your hormones are you know affected negatively uh you, you crave food more, your leptin and ghrelin hormones are jacked up, your sex hormones are jacked up. But It's just not sustainable. Like you you do that to reach a, a certain look and, and, you know, composition for a very finite period of time. But it's unrealistic to expect that you can maintain that year round. Um, so you have to be able to reverse out of that deficit, put on some more body fat. I mean, a lot of your hormones are regulated by the amount of body fat you have on your body. So like you have to be at a healthy body fat in order to function properly as a human being. And to mm-hmm. anticipate and expect being able to function properly at a lower body fat than what you're designed to do is just that's, that's just ignorance as well. I mean, you have to be able to sustain that and having a U-shaped approach to it and cycling through these phases, whether it be a building phase or a cutting phase, is much, much, much more advantageous than trying to do just like a you know, coasting maintenance phase. Because when you're doing like a coasting maintenance phase, you're not giving your body much reason to change. And if you're unhappy with how you're looking, then you're just going to constantly be unhappy because you have no reason to, to change. Whereas if you have a strategic building phase and a strategic cutting phase, you're providing enough pressure and enough stimulus to your body to force an adaptation. And that adaptation takes the form of fat loss if you're trying to cut down or muscle growth if you're trying to build up.
1: Right. And I think from a, you know, from a person who can get to 3% body fat discussion, it's a little bit different than some of the population I work with and myself, um, which is to say, you know, I'm what I'm running into and where I'm seeing it is that um, there are these populations that get very satiated on keto and, and, and also maybe the calorie monster is in their head with the idea that they shouldn't eat too much. And they, they end up going months and maybe even years on end where they're eating like 900 calories a day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the metabolism is always seeking homeostasis, right? Like it, it, it wants you to survive, and so one of the things I run into with these women, you know, as opposed to the bodybuilder situation, which makes total sense, you can't live at that low lower body fat and you need to optimize um, with these, with these women, they have been eating at such a low amount for so long and their, their body has turned their furnace to, you know, be appropriate for that amount of energy they're taking in. And then as is inevitable, a day comes or a month comes where they're like, well, this is BS and they start eating more, but now they've acclimated their body to have their appropriate threshold really low. And so now they're, they've trained their body to gain weight anytime they go above this substance level.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, Honestly, it's, it's interesting because the concepts that hold true for me as a competitive bodybuilder are actually the same concepts that hold true for just, you know, your everyday human being that's trying to be healthy. And, like, if I was to lean out for a show, for instance, let's just hypothetically speaking here, I lean out for a show, and I decide that instead of going into a reverse diet and ramping up, uh, you know, calories, I'm just going to stay at that deficit. Say I'm staying at, you know, 1,500 calories, which for me is a pretty big deficit – and I'm just going to continue training. I'm just going to continue my normal day, but I'm going to stay at that 1,500 calories. What's inevitably going to happen is that my body's going to continue to tear down from the training that I'm doing, and it's not going to have adequate fuel to build that muscle tissue back up. It's not going to have enough fuel to add to it. So rather than maintaining, I'm actually going to be getting worse and worse and worse. And a lot of competitors do this when they try to compete too frequently. Like if they're competing you know, multiple times a year, every single year, there's no there's no time to rebuild. And basically the same thing is happening to an average everyday, you know, person who's not trying to step on stage, they're just trying to like consistently be in a deficit. They may not have as much muscle, they may not have as much lean mass, which would improve their metabolism and allow them to eat more calories, but it's all relative, right? So if they're eating too little for too long, their metabolism is going to downregulate, they're not going to have ample energy to build up more lean mass, so they're not going to improve there they're just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And to recover from that is a lengthy process. Like it takes, you know, a pretty good amount of time to have a properly implemented reverse diet. And that length of time, you know, compounds and grows with the amount of time that you're in that deficit. So if you've been eating at a deficit your entire life, you've screwed up your hormones, you screwed up your metabolism, it's not going to be a quick fix. You're not going to be able to shed pounds and get healthy overnight. And I feel like so many people are coming into this space thinking that's going to be their reality because they've seen other people that have never had this metabolic damage or hormonal damage and never really been in much of a deficit experience drop in weight like that, that they're also going to experience that. And that couldn't be farther from the truth.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, the, the, the criticism that the, this concept often gets, you know, is you'll hear from some sectors that will just, keep eating less if you want to lose weight because they always bring up the example of, right. Um, you know, people who are locked in a room or on a desert Island or in a concentration camp, you know, as you know, all those people got skeletally lean, like, so just keep eating less. Um, and the reality I like to say is like, I'm not trying to violate like biochemistry and say, yeah, fewer calories, eventually you'll lose a lot of body weight but the other factor that people don't look at there is um, we aren't locking people in rooms. They have free choice. They have access to the kinds of foods that will mean they will not lose weight. There's only so far you can push a human. And then it, so that's like on the emotional level. And then on the other side, like there's nothing wrong with wanting to eat more and be somebody that can eat more. You're not a more moral person that you can survive on one cup of, you know, or one ounce of steak a day, right? Like, it's normal to want to seek food.
0: Yeah, it's totally normal. It's like hardwired into our system. And, you know, if you, if you did lock somebody into a room, like a concentration camp, you know, victim as an example, you know, they would lose body weight. But that does not equate to body health. That does not equate to an improved composition. Right. They'll be losing body fat, but they'll be losing muscle at a heightened rate as well. Granted, you'll you'll preserve more lean tissue if you are keto adapted, and you'll have the ability to tap into your stored fat for fuel. But it's not optimal. You know, it's it's much right. much healthier, much more sustainable to implement a reverse uh, dieting phase, having a legitimate building and cutting phase, and just cycle through that. And let that compound over year and year and year, and you get better each time than to try and just, you know, hardwire it to the floor and just go crazy, cut all calories, because you're going to rebound out of that and it's going to be a negative rebound. That's when you're going to have a yo yo effect. And th- there's a big difference between reverse dieting with a strategy and yo yo dieting with like this binging purge, you know, flip flop right. scenario.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that you bring up, and it is very unattractive for most people, right? It's like, it's going reverse dieting it's going to take time it's going to take attention it's going to take care right yeah. you can't just willy-nilly like it, a reverse dieting is not a binge and that's how most people might screw up
0: yeah I mean just just as is, is true when you're trying to like when I'm trying to compete and cut down like I'm really prioritizing nutrient dense foods i'm I'm taking a very calculated approach to you know, how gradually I'm dropping those calories. And the same is pretty much true with the reverse diet. Like I'm taking a very calculated approach. I, I make sure I've got adequate protein. I'm I'm having strategic ketogenic refeeds when appropriate. But I mean, I'm still prioritizing nutrient-dense foods. If you are under eating and then you go into a reverse diet where you're in a caloric surplus and you're filling those calories with crap processed foods, like you're going to get fat. Like it's just what's going to happen. It's not worth It's not worth it
1: right yeah so when when I finally realized I think it was worth reverse dieting I actually just made a mental decision to take a year off of any attempt to cut body fat Mm -hmm. like I was like this didn't take some time so I I like set myself it was hard I had to like hide the scale you know like because you want if you if you want what you want it's hard to tell yourself no.
2: Mm-hmm. Like a
1: two year old having a tantrum inside. And um but I was like, Look, what I'm doing, like I'm just beating my head against the wall every day, like maybe I should stop.
0: Yeah, and honestly, like a year seems like a long time when you when you break it down and you're like, Look, I I want to lose twenty, forty pounds, whatever, and I'm taking a year to not lose that. And, you know, play the long game. But when you look at your life, a year is just a blip. Like, that's nothing. And if you can, you know, make the mental shift to fully embrace the benefits of reverse dieting and do it properly for that time, then the next time you do try and lose body fat or lean out and have a better composition, you're actually going to be successful in doing so. And that's a year worthwhile right there.
1: Absolutely, because a year will go by not losing weight, and that's not happy you know like when you're a year goes by while you're trying and you're not succeeding like Mm -hmm. maybe you should stop so what but what i did is i i looked at what i was eating and and shifted into a much more mindful um kind of growth approach like you know looking at how do i up the amount that i'm eating in a conscious way Mm -hmm. rather than a like restrict 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 oops Yeah, (laughs) like kind of pattern. Um, And then I also then took that time to look at all the other factors. What's going on with my hormones? What's going on with my sleep? What's going on with my light exposure? What's going on with my muscle mass? Like all of the other factors, because there's weight loss is not just or fat loss is not just about what you put in your mouth. I mean, that's top, but it's not the only part.
0: Totally, totally agree. I mean, just to kind of give anybody listening some perspective on how long this could potentially take, you know, I'll spend five or six months leaning out. So five or six months, I'm dropping calories for a show, and I'll lose, you know, X amount of body fat during that time. And then I spend the next five or six months, probably not five or six months, probably spend the next three to four months just getting back up to maintenance calories you know, or just getting back up to a healthy, healthy surplus. And then I spend the next two or three years at that maintenance or surplus before I drop calories again. Like, it's, it's one thing to reverse that and get calories back up to the point where you're at a healthy intake. But then that's not the end of the game. Like, you have to stay at that for an extended period of time to reset things fully and actually ramp up metabolism. Like, that does not happen overnight. I mean, I think having at least like a good solid three to one ratio of like the time that you're in deficit to the time that you're, you know, in a in a surplus is key. Three to one being three three at a maintenance or surplus and one being the deficit. I feel like that is a, you know, minimum viable equation that people could apply. But to think that you can, you know, cut down and then you know, reverse diet and stay at a surplus for a couple weeks and then go back into another cut. I mean, you're, you're really just going to set yourself up for disaster.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, you can also like, you take a very measured approach on that in, in when you're cutting, when you're not. And, and I, you know, I think that's important. I think for a lot of men too, but you know, I focus on working with women I mean, they are the ones who come to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with a lot of women is um, they've spent their entire life in a deficit, right? Like since they were nine, right? Like they don't really know how to interact with the world, not in a deficit. Yeah. And, and so that's a huge challenge um, to address. And so I think it's super important work to normalize like eating.
0: Yeah. And I mean, embracing the fact that you're probably going to put on a little bit of body fat when you're eating at a surplus, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. If it's also in the context of knowing that you're optimizing for lean mass growth, because then you're going to be in a much better position, you know, when you decide to lose that extra few pounds of body fat, but not only just accepting, but embracing and being excited about the fact that, Hey, look, this is just part of, what comes next, you know, I mean, there's, there's always a give and take. Like when I'm cutting down, I can expect to not build as much muscle. When I'm building up, I can expect to not have as defined abs. Like that's just part of it. Like you can't have all things at all times. Like you have to embrace and optimize for whichever phase you're in.
1: Right. And, you know, for me with my experience over that year, um, I managed to get my body from not losing weight eating sub 1200 calories um to losing weight or body fat is more accurate but you know i'm 43 like losing weight is just it's like a it's the two words go to go together in my head but losing body fat um you know at like 1500 calories like that's a huge difference in life experience Mm -hmm. um and quite honestly i like food like in life enjoyment and i don't like being hungry and you know so the 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 year for me was totally worth it and i also have an awareness that like at some point i'm going to need to cycle back into weight or fat loss not being on my radar for a while again
0: yeah yeah i think i think you know i said earlier 3 to 1 like if someone's been at a Chronic caloric deficit for the last 25 years of their life. You know, I don't want them to spend, think that they have to spend the next 75 years in a surplus because that would be pretty disheartening. <laughs> right. I mean, there is a point of right. diminishing returns where like your body has the time it needs to reset and then you could go into a cut. But simply having this long game approach to it and knowing that, you know, like it's not going to happen overnight and then just accepting that and diving full speed ahead is, is empowering. Like so many people in not in just the performance world, but just life in general, like they, they want this overnight fix and it's it's just, it's just funny. It's not funny. It's sad really. But like I see how I've approached these different phases and I've finally come to a point in my life where I don't really beat myself up if I've put on a few extra pounds in the off season because I just understand Mm -hmm. that's part of the process. But like, there's so many people out there that, they can't accept that. And you have to accept that. Like, you just have to accept that there's different phases. Optimize for whatever phase you're in. Make the most of that phase and move on to the next phase when it's time. Like, this whole grass is always green on the other side approach to everything in life. It it just diminishes your positive outcome of that phase when you're in it. And, you know, if people would just embrace, you know, focusing on building lean mass when they're at a surplus and focus on losing body fat when they're in a deficit then there wouldn't be all this back and forth and you would actually get somewhere.
1: Right. And I think, you know, it's, we live in a quick fix society. Like nobody wants to plan out retirement. They want to win the lottery. And like, I get it. I would also like to win the lottery. And I would also (laughs) like to wear a size six tomorrow. Like I would like these things, but when you focus on the wrong target, you like, you know, if you're, if you're aiming at the wrong thing, you're not going to, hit the target at all.
2: Like
1: and you need to actually at least aim appropriately so that you might get that shot on the paper.
0: Yeah. And you don't have to have it all figured out as far as like the, the protocol right. goes either. Like having enough self awareness to know, okay, look, I, I I'm not gonna see the results overnight. That's that's the that's one thing I've accepted. But like I'm also not gonna know how to do this properly overnight is okay too. Like when I first started reverse dieting after my first competition I screwed it up tremendously. Like I gained way too much weight, way too quickly. And it was just a disaster. But now I can take a much more calculated approach. And every time you do it, you get better and better, and better because you have more perspective. You understand your body better. You understand what your body responds to. So it's like something that you continually grow into. But I mean, just being excited about that process is is half the battle, right there. Once you once you've made that you know mental commitment, then it's it's fun to work out the details as you go.
1: Right. Motion breeds clarity. Right. Like when you're standing still and you're like analyzing everything because you're afraid to put a foot wrong, um, everything gets murkier and murkier and murkier. It's actually it's like the opposite of a river. Right. Like, but when you're when you're taking action and you're moving, you actually get clearer and clearer because you're like, well, that didn't work. Well, that worked. Well, that was almost right. Like that motion is super important. And that's my philosophy with keto as well. Like stop standing on the sidelines, being afraid to do it wrong. Just start. You can always adjust. You can always fix it. But if you don't head in the right direction, you're going to go backwards.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of segueing off of that is like, that's why I'm not a fan of this concept of maintenance because I don't believe it, such a thing exists. I mean, we are humans and we are not getting any younger. So there is no maintenance. Like you're either getting better or you're right. getting worse. There's no, there's no in between.
1: It's like we're the same person. I always say there's no such thing as an after unless you're dead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's no finish line. Yeah. We're, we're speaking right. the same language for sure.
1: We're all a during. It's a during. You're, we're all a during are a before and a during.
0: Totally. Totally. So I have this topic that I really want to dive into with you, this topic of metabolic flexibility, because that's definitely one of the hyped up things right now. The question is, do we want to dive into this in gory detail now? We're 45 minutes into this podcast. Should we make like a full follow up round two and really just hit metabolic flexibility hard? Or what are you thinking?
1: Well, it's up to you. I've got the time if you want to talk about it, and if you decide to break it up into two episodes, you can always do that. I'm, I'm, I am at your leisure.
0: All right. I, I don't. I want to do it justice. I want to do it just. I've got a meeting after <laughs> this, so okay. I, I, don't know that I would be able to to make it into one podcast and give it the, the time it deserves. So if you're okay, well, we can
1: we can skip. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We, we can do that.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Totally. We'll do it. We'll do a follow up round too because. I feel like we're speaking similar languages with that, too, and I feel like you have a very good pulse on your demographic. And I feel like your demographic is not that your demographic does not have performance, you know, athlete, bodybuilders in it. Maybe it does. I'm not sure. But I feel like I'm at one extreme in the spectrum and you're at the other, and those two extremes make up a large bulk of the keto space as a whole. So I feel like this is an interesting topic to dive into because – I feel like people throughout both ends of the spectrum are are just quick to have assumptions with metabolic flexibility where they fit into it if they fit into it so I really want to hash that out in great detail.
1: Yeah, and I also think it's important when we talk about it can talk about like what it means and what people think it means.
0: Yes, I feel like that. <laughs> starting out with a definition is going to be really good. I've I've, I've been right. doing a lot of thinking on this and I you know now that we're talking about reverse dieting you know, I've had all these thoughts and I'm like, I need to talk with somebody who knows how to carry a conversation and knows and has enough self self awareness and perspective about the keto community as a whole so that we can have a well thought out conversation on this topic. And I feel like you're the perfect person.
1: Sounds good. I'm happy to be your uh your sounding board.
0: Good. Yeah, okay. Well I'm gonna pick your brain too, because I feel like you've got a lot of things worth saying as well.
1: <laughs> okay, sounds good.
0: So We'll schedule that. But before I let you loose, where can people go to find out more about you and all that you're up to?
1: Sure. I'm at, I'm on most of the socials at the Ketonist, uh, T H E K E T O N I S T. That's from what I talked about on my journey that when I I was a hedonist and then I went keto. So the Ketonist, right? I I, I put the words together. (laughs) Um, And, um, uh, so that's Instagram. I'm not active on Twitter, but I have an account. Um, and I'm also at the ketonist on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page there. I have a podcast uh, called keto life support. And if you go to keto you can listen to the episodes and you can also join the Facebook group that I'm in every day. That's associated with that podcast.
0: Gotcha. I will certainly link out to those. And I am very much looking forward to our follow-up podcast.
1: Sounds good. Me too, Robert.
0: Take care, Kim.